Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Iwaki Maxim. I thought I would start today with a confession. I need to confess something. I, I did something bad. I, um, I have always enjoyed doing graphic design work, and I am trying to make money in a space that's more like UX design. And then I was sitting and thinking about that, like how can I learn about making it a little bit more data-driven, yada yada, make some more money on this. And I thought about how I have this ex who is a UX designer. She wasn't even, that's not even what she was doing. She was doing more straight graphic design and like logos and stuff when I was with her back in 2011, 2012. And then we got engaged and we were going to move to Sweden. And one week before we moved to Sweden, I broke it off with her, which I feel very guilty about because I don't think I handled it very well. I don't think the relationship would have worked out. I think I wasn't ready and the relationship was a little bit troubled. And I think she had some issues to deal with too. And, but I think I didn't handle the breakup very well. Because I made it very difficult for her. We had this whole plan of moving from Shanghai to Sweden. And one week before we do it, I cancel the whole thing. And then the paperwork is already in. So she already had her green card to go to Sweden. So she moved to Sweden without me. We both moved to Sweden separately. Because she didn't cancel her plan to move to Sweden. So she ends up moving to Sweden alone. And when I was with her, she was doing graphic design, and then she moves to Sweden, and she actually becomes a UX designer, works for Volvo, works for a couple of different places. And be- she she turned into a very successful UX designer. So when I'm thinking about, like, how can I learn about this, a part of me wanted to reach out to her and be like, so what do you think is the best best path to, like, teach yourself some more skills to make more money in this field? But I don't think that's right because she has a good life now and I think it would be very disruptive for me to reach out from the grave, especially when I didn't handle the breakup very well and I hurt her feelings. But what I did instead, I Googled her, which is like a, that's the first thing that's a little bit a stalker thing, you know, to Google your ex. So her name is So I Googled UX design and I got to this website like com with her resume on there. So I'm looking at her resume, you know, she's Taiwanese, this and that, studied here. And as I'm looking at it, it just doesn't really look right. And then I realized that it's not her. It's just someone else named who's in UX design. And then I um, go back and back and back and I go back to the Google hits and I'm like, oh, it must be the next one. And I go to the next one. And there are all these hits and I realized that the whole thing is very... is a very common name for Taiwanese. It's a common English name for Taiwanese girls of that age, maybe that are born in like the 80s and 90s. Because when you're picking a name in your second language, you're really drawing from kind of a limited pool if name pools aren't already kind of limited. Like in Sweden, you know, like my name is Joachim and it's like when I was in third grade, there were four other Joachims in my class, you know. We're all drawing from like kind of small pools around everywhere, you know? All ABCs, American-born Chinese dudes, are named Kevin. You can argue with it, but it's it's kind of the case. And 
did tell me that when she, her name was given to her when they moved to, I think they moved to Belgium when she was a kid and her dad brought her to kindergarten. On the first day of kindergarten, her dad brings all of them in, the three kids, and he's given a form and he, he hadn't thought about it. And on the spot, he's just asked to come up with English names for all three of them. And he just like went with, you know, just on the spot. Good name, though. I mean, no no problem with that name. And then her last name, I think, is the most, maybe the most common Chinese language last name. So is a common name. And then there's this something about, you know, not to get all racial and industry and everything, but like there's something about tech and people from Asia that kind of break into Western countries, yada, yada. There's a lot of people working in tech. And there's something about, like, a lot of those girls go into graphic design. Whatever I'm saying is that there's a fuck ton of people named who work in UX design. And then I did this creepy thing where I I found, like, six of them. And I emailed them all. And I was like, hey, how's it going? You know, I'm I'm trying to develop in the field of UX design, and I'm wondering if we could do like a 15-minute informational interview. Informational view interviews are very, um, it's an, like an incredible discovery once you realize the power of informational interviews, because you're really reaching out to someone who is further along in a career path that you want to be on, and you're asking to talk to them on the premise of, let's talk about you. I want to hear what your story is and what your background is and what your education is. And everyone loves talking about themselves, so everyone is into it. Whatever you're trying to do, if you're struggling in a field or if you want to develop in a field, informational interviews are always like an incredible tool. Because you're not asking them to give you money. You're not asking them to give you a job. It's just, hey, can we just talk about you for 15 minutes? And it makes them feel important, so they go along with it and then you talk to them for 15 minutes and ask about their path and then you learn things and then at the end you just ask some open-ended questions like is there anyone that you think it would be helpful for me to talk to do you know anyone in your network that I could talk to so it's like just like an incredibly powerful networking tool and it just breeds a lot of goodwill like you immediately end up with a it's just a great first, it's just a great start to a professional relationship doing an informational interview. And anyone that I've done an informational interview with, I always end up just, you can email a little bit every once in a while and they just have a positive impression of you because you were that guy who bolstered their ego a little bit. Here's the great irony of it all, and I didn't even think of this until right now. The person who told me to do informational interviews whenever you want to further yourself accelerate your development in a field is her dad dad because he was a big like uh, ceo type character of a big telecommunications french company in taiwan whatever and he also had he had a lot of life advice for like the young professional he also said that even if you have a job and you're happy with your job and you're comfortable with your job you should do a job interview once a month if you work in x industry and you have your job, you should always look for jobs in that interview, in that industry, and you should always be emailing people and try to get yourself one job interview a month so that you're always networking and always informed about what's out there and what the other people are thinking, what the mood is in all the other places. It's just such a high-powered philosophy kind of thing, you know? Because it's the opposite of resting on your laurels, you know?
Like, who has the time for that? But, you know, some people do. And those people, they make a lot of money. So anyway, um, I, I emailed these six who do UX design. And I don't even know why. But for some reason, I emailed them and they have the same name as my ex-girlfriend. And, and then I keep waking up to emails from being like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Let's talk. You know, let's talk soon. And it's like, fuck. Ugh. Anyway, maybe this is even too creepy. Maybe I should edit this out. But that's what I did. You know, the thing about that really gets to me is that we broke up. I broke up with her. And then we had not an on and off relationship, but we kept talking for like a year when after we both moved to Sweden. And we met up a couple of times. And she really showed a lot of growth. She really showed that the breakup had made her reconsider a couple of things about herself and how she had been acting kind of crazy and how she was acting kind of juvenile and how she needed to like calm down. And so I think me breaking up with her really turned her into a more ready for a real grown-up relationship kind of person. But I wasn't ready. So I didn't recognize that. And I didn't accept that. And then what happened is that she calmed down and was living in Sweden. And because she's like this incredibly capable, strong-minded person, she just made it in Sweden. And she got a good job at Volvo, worked at Volvo for several years, developed like the the user interface for all their first touchscreen cars, worked on that, got some other jobs, started her own company, you know, got started some sort of dance company on the side where she got into some sort of South American dance, you know, just like so many things going on. And then she meets uh, some Swedish guy and they have a kid and she has a kid now, you know? So she has a nice little Swedish family. She's living in Sweden, just like this healthy, balanced, good life. And a part of me is like now, <laughs> fuck. A part of me is like, God damn it. <laughs> because, because I don't really have all of those things. I have some of those things. And maybe I have all the tools to build all those things eventually, but I don't have all of those things just yet. You know, I don't have a kid, for example, but, but it's all good. And, and um, the feeling I want to feel and the feeling I feel, which is not maybe the strongest feeling, but I want to feel it. And when I sit with it and when I lean into it, the feeling I want to feel about it is I want to be happy for her. And I do feel happy for her because it worked out, you know. I am happy that that's, I don't know, man, humans are, are complicated because when you have an ex and it doesn't work out for that person, you can feel schadenfreude, you know? You can uh, revel in their misfortune and you can feel like, yeah, well, that person fucking deserves that because that person made me feel like shit. And, or you can feel sorry for them and you can wish them the best and you can feel sad that things didn't work out for them. And then when things do work out, you know, as I'm trying to become a more mature person and a more balanced person that approaches the world with a sense of equanimity, I want to just be happy for And I do feel happy for I'm happy that... I'm happy that it didn't cause irreparable damage, you know? It's funny because in the episode with Sho, 
him and me talk about how sometimes we're really hard on ourselves and maybe we like had a lot of ex-girlfriends and maybe we like broke a lot of hearts along the way and and maybe on a during like a dark night of the soul you can look back on it all and feel like well the best thing I did in all those different situations was removing myself from the situation and that's what we both said that we both feel like that sometimes and the show is like yeah well I'm trying not to be like that anymore and I'm trying not to think about it like that anymore and I don't think that's true anymore but when he we were talking about it was who I was thinking about because that's the situation where I really feel like we had a like we had a fun relationship and we traveled a lot and we were kind of crazy and she was kind of intense and like really jealous and really such an emotional roller coaster towards me and I kind of fed off of that negative positive I kind of fed off that like extreme changes sudden changes all the drama I fed off of all the drama but then when I removed myself from situation from the situation that really triggered something that worked out for her where she grew up and she became ready and you know I don't know her anymore and I don't talk to her and all I know is based on every 18 months maybe I look at her Facebook and and um, based on that stuff it just seems like she built something stable and it looks good it looks like it worked out you know just nicely shot photography of someone walking around with a little three-year-old. A little hun shui ba ba. You know? That little mixed blood prince. Hold on, I gotta get my iced coffee. Yeah, but you know, we can't all be, we can't all be grown-ups. Some people are gonna be weird. What else is going on? You know, I really wanna um, talk about cultural appropriation. I've been thinking about it, and it's, um... I find myself getting in, not even getting in arguments because I don't take the argument, but I find I'm surrounded by people who, there's a lot of people around me that rant at me about cultural appropriation. And I mean, you can start by first, I think we should all be very happy to acknowledge that there is such a thing as cultural appropriation, which is terrible. Like, it can be a bad thing. You know, for example... If you take like a form of music that maybe uh, disenfranchised black Americans invent and then that music style, those ideas, all that stuff is adopted slash stolen by white people who then cater to the same thing kind of music and cater it to white people and, and they make a lot of money and the black people who invented it live in squalor and die in poverty and they never get credit. Like, that's an injustice, and we can all sort of agree that that's bad. That's cultural appropriation. They came up with something. Someone else stole it, made a lot of money off of it. Credit was never given where credit was due, you know? Easy. Easy thing for everyone to agree with. And then you can work backwards and be like, there's other things like... Like, there's a Trader Joe uh, controversy. I almost got in an argument with my roommate about this last week. Where Trader Joe's, they it's a grocery store. They sell everything in the store branded as Trader Joe brand, whatever. And then they have Mexican food and they sell it under a Trader Jose kind of brand. And they have Chinese food and they sell that under a Trader Ming brand. Now, sidebar, 
when I was living in Shanghai with um, Eric Wong, who's an American, there was there was a store a couple of streets over from where we were living called Trader Joe, like Z-H-O-U. It's one of the most common Chinese last names, Joe. And <laughs> it was like this thing. I didn't understand the pun. I had never heard of Trader Joe's. But Eric, Eric Wong was always fawning over how funny that pun was to him. And how crazy it was that it was there and no one was there to, no one got the joke. Because Chinese people walking up and down the street, they've never heard of Trader Joe's. Like, I had never heard of, like, it was a wasted joke, you know. And then, um, I mean, Trader Joe's in America, they definitely missed an opportunity there when they should have named their Chinese branded stuff Trader Joe. <laughs> but again, okay, no one would have gotten the joke. So let's file all of that away in the big old cabinet of comedy that almost worked, you know, like, because it doesn't really work. But regardless, Trader Joe's, it, there's this controversy, they they have these things and 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 my roommate thinks it's outrageous. And, I mean, you can talk about what the problem is there, but really, the thing, though, first of all, I think it's important to mention that no one, literally no one in China is outraged that there's a grocery store in America selling sort of vaguely China-related groceries under a brand that they came up with called Trader Ming's. Like, that's not offensive to a Chinese person at all. And a very clear sort of example an example that I think is really straightforward is that there's this new story about a um, Midwestern high schooler, this girl who bought a chipao, like the traditional Chinese dress. It's like the Mandarin collar, low collar. It's like a silk material usually. It's the specific cut. It's a chipao, you know, it's a, it's a dress. So she's white. She buys this dress on the internet and she wears it to her prom. And she puts pictures on the internet. And then white Twitter shits on her because that's cultural appropriation and cultural appropriation is bad. And then behind them, there's accidentally, no one listens to them, but there's there just happens to be like a million Chinese people who also saw these pictures and thought it was great because it's like that's what they wear and they think it's fun that that someone is wearing that because they take it as a compliment, you know? But really what I think is interesting that no one is saying is that if you look at that situation with a white girl in the Midwest wearing a chipao and you think that's bad because that's Chinese and she's white, you're literally putting out an opinion that happens to be the same opinion as the opinion of a white supremacist, of like a separate but equal segregationist David Wallace type white supremacist. Because white supremacists would say that German people should stay in Germany, they should eat German food, they should wear German clothing, and the Africans should stay in Africa, and the Middle Eastern people should stay in the Middle East, and they should eat their kebabs, and like, you know, Asian people should eat rice, and everyone should just wear their own clothing, and decorate their houses in their own ways, and we shouldn't borrow from each other. Like, that's literally what white supremacists want. They want white people to listen to white people music and black people to listen to black people music. Anyway, maybe none of that makes sense. But that's how I feel about it. What else is going on? A couple of days ago, I watched the movie Blade Runner 2049. Fuck, I love that movie. It's, um, it's got, I, I feel like 
it got kind of mixed reviews. Whenever I talk to people about that movie, they people aren't super excited about this movie, but I just love this movie. I think it's so visually beautiful. I recommend it to anyone, and I think it has this sort of point that's just so beautiful and surprising. It has this twist. Now, if you haven't seen the movie and you're planning on seeing it, it's um, I'm obviously going to spoil the movie now, so, you know, spoiler alert. But, but um, very briefly, it's about... The protagonist is a guy. He's an android. He's a robot. He's a whatever you want to call it. He's an artificial human being. And he's living in this world where he's the victim of a lot of android racism. Everyone thinks he is not a real person. And they have a lot of slurs for him. And and he's living this sort of small, sad guy life. A very small life. He lives in a small apartment with bad lighting. Very, very small apartment. And and he's played... It's Ryan Gosling. And Ryan Gosling is so good at doing sad guy handsome. And um, he has a girlfriend who is a hologram. So it's a robot with a girlfriend who is a hologram. Which is already... It's very nice and futuristic how they've gone one step beyond the whole one a human being is, has a relationship, a romantic relationship with a non-human being. They've taken it one step further that here we're talking about two non-human beings who are like an android who's a little bit more basic than a human having a relationship with a hologram who's even more basic than an android. And the hologram girlfriend who looks, who's advertised all over the city Everyone has the same girlfriend, the same hologram girlfriend. She just looks the same and has the same sort of like vague European French accent. And she gives the same sort of pep talk to all of her boyfriends. And the the pep talk is that he's special. She keeps telling him that he's special. And it makes him feel a little bit better maybe, but he really doesn't seem to believe it because she says that to everyone and he's just an android, right? And so the movie is going and it's going and, and then... Throughout the movie, you get this, you get little hints that suggest that maybe he is special. Because maybe there is a special android out there who figured out how to give birth. Because in that universe, androids can't give birth. And then there's something that seems to suggest that 30 years prior, one android woman gave birth to another android. Right? So there's one thing like that. One example of an android that was born of a woman instead of made in a factory, okay? So then everyone is looking for this kid, this android who was born of a woman. Throughout the story, he there are certain things that happen to him that suggest that maybe that's him, you know? Maybe he's special. And it's very nice because they never say it out loud. He never actually verbalizes it, but it's such a... It's such well-treaded territory. It's like the most basic trope. The trope of slowly realizing that you're special. Like, for some reason, it's always been a... I, I think it's just something in, in how the human being, human brain, the consciousness sort of approaches the world that we can recognize that there are many people, but there's something... There's some quality to our experience of the world that makes us feel like we are special. Like that my experience is special and that I have an identity and that I am special. So for some reason, that trope of realizing that you're special is ancient. And I really feel like in modern society, we that's the trope that we really landed on, that we push a little bit too far even. 
so many stories, so many of the biggest sort of stories of the last couple of decades are about that, you know? Like Harry Potter is all about some bullied little British kid who realizes that he's some sort of special, the special wizard that the prophecy talked about. And like Neo in The Matrix and all these things are about how you realize that you're special. So in Blade Runner 2049, they don't even have to say it out loud. There's just these little clues where you realize that he's kind of the right age. There's kind of this. There's kind of that. He has some sort of memory of something. And, and he knows that it's an implanted memory. But he starts to question if maybe it's a real memory. But then what happens in the movie that I think is so incredible is that there's a reverse twist. Where you're watching the movie and you're starting to... You've realized now that he's special. And then two-thirds into the movie, he has this this conversation where he gets into contact with the, the rebellion or whatever, this underground rebellion of androids who are trying to break out and not be slaves anymore, and they're victims of this racism, you know, yada, yada, underground railroad, whatever. He's talking to her, and he finds out that the, the kid who was born is actually a girl. It's not a boy, so it can't be him. And then he just stands there and he just freezes for a second and he just looks Ryan Gosling kind of sad and handsome. And, and the rebellion leader looks at him and she's like, oh, you, you didn't think it was you, right? And this is like this incredibly sad moment of a reverse twist where everything goes back to normal and normal is not good. And, and Ryan Gosling has to accept that he's not special, that he's just fucking no one. And it's like so beautifully and so elegantly told. It's just such a beautiful metaphor for what modern life is, you know? Because for some reason, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but it's true for me that there was something in my upbringing that really seemed to suggest that I was special and then you wander into your teens with that belief and then you leave your teens having to accept that you're not, you know? There's something so strange there where our parents and our culture wanted to be nice to us so they wanted to tell us that we were special but they really set us up to fail existentially, philosophically because, oh, because we're not special. I mean, look. We're all just people, you know? And I really feel like when I have a kid, I really want to be cognizant of this. I really want to be cognizant of a way to try to give someone value without it being predicated on them being a unique snowflake, you know? Because that has to be possible. It has to be possible to tell your kid that Everyone has value, and that's why you have value. Because that is never what I was told, you know? I was just told that I was special. And it's like, I don't think anyone even told me that. It's just something, I don't know, maybe I just interpreted that. Maybe there were just clues, just like in that movie. Maybe there were just clues, and that's how we choose to interpret those clues. Maybe you just get like one good test score in third grade and then you're like, maybe I'm the one. I don't know. It's almost like every single video game is about how the 
there's just some very uncreative trite dialogue in the beginning that's like about oh are you the one i have been hearing about question mark oh the prophecy has foretold about you exclamation mark god damn it i love that movie though he's so fucking handsome <laughs> and he's so sad ryan gosling man i just love that genre though futuristic uh, sad guy handsome like you get the movie her with joaquin phoenix that's kind of a slightly different genre but but another really good example is ad astra with uh, brad pitt where brad pitt is he has to be like really stone-faced and he's in the military and and he's contacted by his superiors and he finds out that his dad is kind of crazy and has traveled out to like Neptune or Jupiter or some far out planet and he's like working on some machine that's super powering some you know solar flare thing that might destroy all of humanity and he might be trying to destroy all of humanity on purpose so they want to send Brad Pitt out there or they want to help get Brad Pitt's help in like talking his dad off of the cliff you know talking talking him off the edge so that he doesn't destroy all humanity and so brad pitt is just like this sad guy living in the shadow of his dad uh and he goes planet hopping and he starts on earth and they send him to the moon and from the moon they shoot him out to mars and from mars they send him further out and they go into a cryo sleep and it's like this whole movie is just about him slowly making his way out to his dad there and he hasn't seen his dad for 30 40 years and his dad he thought it was dead and but then he ends up at the space station with his dad around Neptune and in the final scenes there are these incredibly sad scenes where where they they're in this really echoey empty space station and his dad is kind of floating around at the top of this big hollow space and Brad Pitt is kind of like at the bottom of the space and they're saying these quiet echoey things to each other and the dad is like son you know I never loved you and Brad Pitt is like I know dad and it's like wow it's so incredibly sad <laughs> and Brad Pitt is so handsome and cool oh my god and it's just like space station sad. For some reason, I really love it when people tell real stories about deep human emotions, but the backdrop is something not mundane, something very, you know, technological or futuristic or unreal. Like there, there's something that for me that almost makes it realer. It just underlines the the universal nature of it when you can when you make it when you give it a surreal tinge and and the thing that bleeds the thing that cuts all the way through all the surreal futuristic nonsense stuff is like a really universal relatable human emotion or experience ah oh, man all right maybe we should go to the water today we're doing blackberry and i'm very excited about these waters a lot of times I walk into these episodes, I walk into these flights of three waters, and I feel like, mm, maybe this one is going to be kind of shitty, maybe this one is going to be kind of good. This time I feel like all three of these, I, I have very high expectations. What's going to be the lightest one? Okay, we're going to start with the basic one, Simple Truth Organic, Blackberry Hibiscus. 
hibiscus. This is, might be incredible. Hibiscus. At uh, Babar, we, um, we serve two kinds of iced tea. We serve a regular black iced tea, and then we serve a Wu Wei iced tea, which is, I am told it's a Vietnamese-style iced tea. It's a little bit hibiscus-y, a little bit floral. It's so nice. Floral can often be perfumey and bad. Anything that can be described as floral in a lot of sort of flavor, flavor combinations, I'm not a huge fan. But hibiscus is the best kind of floral because it's not overpowering. It doesn't cut through the way a lot of floral smells, essential oil smells kind of cut through. And dude, there are floral tastes that will cut through anything and make me gag, even if there are nine other flavors in front of it, you know? Smell it. Ooh, that smell is suggestive of slightly more sweetness than I would like. Oh my God, that is so good. Now, blackberry is a very, blackberry is a good flavor. A lot of berry flavors, like strawberry and raspberry, are haunted by really sort of chemical associations. But blackberry has slightly more unknown associations, I would say. As I'm drinking this, though, it's not really possible to pick out what is the blackberry flavor and what is the hibiscus flavor? It's very refreshing. It's very nice and cold and it's fizzy, but I don't want to exaggerate the realness of it because it is floral. It's slightly too floral, actually. Yeah, it's nice. It's a seven. This is a seven. You know, ain't nothing wrong with this. Simple Truth Organic. The next one is from a brand called Wild CBD. I have a lot to say about this. The can says broad spectrum hemp extract THC free. THC is one of my biggest enemies. You know, in the beginning, when I was going to meetings, I heard someone say that they were not drinking, but that in the beginning of their sobriety, that they were drinking alcohol free beer until their sponsor explained to them that alcohol, non-alcoholic means not for alcoholics. You know, that's the pun. That alcohol-free beer is not for people in recovery. And I didn't actually re understand what he meant when he, when he said that in the meeting. And it's been something that no one really explained to me. I just sort of understood it as I was in the program long enough. Drinking a non-alcoholic beer is putting yourself and putting your mind in that space that you used to be in when you would drink. Even though there's no alcohol in there, that flavor brings you back to that space. You have to put up the biggest possible wall between yourself and the relapse. If I'm being completely honest, I don't think it's good for me to drink something with CBD in it. I think it is softening up the limestone of the wall that I built between myself and my relapse. I don't know. Everyone's program is different. So they sent me these samples and I popped some in the fridge and before drinking them on the pod now today, I drank some of them. And the thing is that I was honestly very worried because I drank them and I was like, am I supposed to feel something? Because if I drank one of these things and I felt something, then that would be a relapse. Luckily, I didn't. And I made my roommate drink two of the strongest ones. So there's five milligrams 
of CBD per beverage, or there's 25 milligrams. I have those two kinds. So I made my roommate drink two of the 25 milligram ones. And she chugged both of them, and she was like, yeah. And she sat there and watched TV for a couple of hours, and she's like, yeah, that didn't, that didn't do anything. So because of that, I'm going to tell myself that it's okay. I'm going to tell myself that it's okay. I, it's such a beautifully designed can. Colored pencil type illustrations where they've illustrated blackberries on this white can. And the, the logo is beautiful. It's like um, deer antlers. And it's, it says wild CBD, wild spelled with a Y. Real fruit infused sparkling water, 25 milligrams of CBD, broad spectrum hemp extract, THC free blackberry you know the thing that stresses me out the most about those words broad spectrum hemp extract i don't know what that means but it sounds like it means that you took kind of a lot of different things from the hemp plant i don't know man i'm a weak little man i'm a very very small man you know i'm that small dishonest man and i'm gonna drink this five percent juice i just want to be honest and say that that this isn't good, but here we go, you know. Let's smell it. Oh, um, bright purple fizz bubbles bubbling out of the can as I open it. Beautiful, beautiful color. 5% juice, so it's got that color to it. Ooh, lighter smell, lighter than the Simple Truth Organic. Let's try it. Wow. Wow. Incredible. That is like being in Sweden and walking through some berry bushes and sitting down in the, on the sun-dappled lawn and holding hands with someone that you really care about and just laying down in the grass and your fingers are stained with the juice of the berry and you... One more sip. Wow. That is such a sun-dappled, beautiful, real flavor. Oh, that's making my eyes tear up. It's like the guilt of having a CBD beverage on the mic and the beauty of the flavor of the blackberry and the bubbles. It's making my eyes tear up. Good, good drink, though. <laughs> so funny. The sparkling water is good, though. I mean, it has a couple of calories in there. It's 10 calories per can, you know? Like, it's uh, not much. This is very good. It's got one gram of sugar in a 12-ounce can. And the way, what this tastes like, the freshness of how the berry survives, how the freshness of the berry flavor survives in the can, in can form, impeccable. Oh, there, this is like a 9.5. It's very good and it's very guilty. I feel so guilty. I'm so hard on myself. That's what my sponsor always says. Too hard on myself. <laughs> he says, be a little bit nicer to our friend Joachim. That's what he always tells me. So let's do the third one here. As much as the last one, Wild CBD, how that um, is a beautifully designed can... This is even, this is the, maybe the best designed can I've ever seen. It's, the whole thing is incredibly well designed. They, they sent me some free samples. They sent me 12 
uh, cans. It's called Free Rain. The box that they send it in is like a flat, very large box. Beautiful block letters, black on white. It's very clean. It's like trying to be the apple of of sparkling water. Incredible design. And then the can is, it's almost like a watercolor. Two shades of purple, like a darker to a lighter shade of purple in a watercolor. And then with white text on there. It's just so nice looking. Free rain enhanced sparkling water. It's, they put herbs in there that classically, you know, in a sort of witch doctor way where these herbs are supposed to do stuff. So it's three different flavors and they're supposed to do three different things. So in this one it says, passion flowers used to, to promote natural sleep rhythms and treat insomnia, regulate the nervous system, relieve anxiety, and alleviate tension and muscle pain. 250 milli- 255 milligrams of passion flower. Now, the problem here is that it's... 3.22 p.m. and I'm about to drink this so I hope it doesn't actually make me super drowsy because I'm hoping to have a whole day in front of me here. Let's try it. Free rain. Ooh, no smell at all except a slightly yeast. Very, very soft. I, I have to pour this in a wine glass. Wow, no smell still even in a wine glass. Wow. That is quite strange. It doesn't actually taste that good. It's very, very light, first of all. Um, Tart. Blackberry tartness. And then like this strange yeast, stuffy sort of yeast. Not floral. Like it's very strange that it's called passion flower. Yeah, it's like a very... um, tart closed yeasty flavor not like a light flavor it's almost like the liquid is a little bit thick thick and flavorless i mean it's not bad it's almost more like a shrub you know things like that's more like that more like a shrub is has usually has a vinegary sort of um quality to it more than a sweet quality it's actually kind of similar to a blackberry shrub. Like the blackberry shrub we have right now at Babar is, is a blackberry ginger orange peel infusion topped with some soda water. It comes out dark red. It's got a lot of more sweetness than a normal shrub. And it still has that sort of vinegar tartness. And um, it's a little bit like this. It's a very sophisticated flavor. The ingredients are carbonated water, blackberry juice concentrate, lime juice concentrate, passion flower extract, cassia extract, like Chinese cinnamon. It's got Chinese cinnamon in there. Bro, it's so difficult to understand this flavor. It's growing on me though. It's like rounded and it's very hard to score this because it's so... I don't know what I'm picking up as this yeastiness. I don't know why I feel like it's so yeast flavored. It's really got a sort of like a Chardonnay, a Chardonnay that has um, all the lees in there that gives it this breadiness, this sort of thick, viscous quality because the dead dead yeast is left in there. It's got a quality like that where the the foam has a certain stiffness and and thickness to it where you feel like it's um, mysterious, very mysterious drink. 
I am hesitant to score it, but I'm going to score it an 8 because it's thought-provoking. And it is not super delicious based on my expectations, but it's very much something that might grow on me. All right, I think we got to call it an episode. Hey, we got to call it an episode. Thank you for listening. That was our review of three blackberry-flavored sparkling waters. Simple Truth Organic Seltzer Water Blackberry Hibiscus, Free Rain Enhanced Sparkling Water Blackberry and Passionflower, and the Real Fruit Infused Sparkling Water 25mg CBD Blackberry Flavor from Wild CBD. If you want to support the podcast, go to americandecline.org, buy some of our merch. And that brings us to our closing segment. Sparkling water, sparkling mind. Let's see what David Phillips sent us this week. At the time of the Buddha, no sutra was written. Later on, it was added. It's recorded as the Sutra of the Seven Wise Women. These seven wise ladies in India were of a noble family, aristocrats, maybe of Brahman class, rich and well-established. They didn't do much. Everything was taken care of by someone else in one way or another. Practically all they did was just amuse themselves. It was custom, just like these days, every weekend to go someplace else or have a party of some sort, enjoy themselves. Then one of these days, one of these seven wise ladies told the others, they could be sisters, but not necessarily blood sisters. Today, instead of going to parties, let's go to the crematory. I have a feeling that something nice will happen. Some people have a sort of supernatural power, extrasensory sort of awareness. I I believe that. Shakyamuni himself said he had these five so-called occult powers. He was even called a magician, as well as a great medical doctor, medicine king. So it's quite obvious that he could perform certain miracles. Anyway, the seven of them go to the crematory, and they see a corpse. And that one lady asked the six sisters, a dead corpse is here. Where did the man go? The story goes that Indra was watching from heaven, and he was very pleased. It says that he made a rain of flower petals with fragrance, celebrated them. He descends to them and asks them, You are marvelous. I would like to give you something in reward. What do you want? These ladies were born in rich families, born in a very high class. So they told Indra, Practically, we have everything as far as our life goes. Everything is nicely provided. We have enough jewels. We don't particularly want anything. But if you really want to give us something, we should like to have three things, if you can give them to us. And Indra said, sure, say it. Then they said, first, please give us the rootless tree. And second, please give us the piece of land where there is no yin and yang, no day, no night, no woman, no man, no pair of opposites. That's the land we should like to have. And third, we should like to have an echoless valley. These three we should like to have. Then Indra says, I can't do it. And even Shravaka and Pratyaka Buddhas, the enlightened one, Arhats, the ideal figures of Theravada tradition, can't do it. Only great bodhisattvas know what they are, and only the Buddha knows how to get them.
So why don't we go to the Buddha and ask him? All dharmas are selfless. That is the key to understand this rootless tree. Carrying big ego? What can you do? Dharma can't be defiled, that's for sure. Even if we do stupid things, that's for sure, we do stupid things. Dharma can't be defiled. Dharma is indestructible to begin with. It is ourselves that we destroy. The Sixth Patriarch's koan is a wonderful koan. How Nangaku responds, a marvelous koan. It's all about this rootless tree, rootless life, your life, which exists right now as is. How do you take it? That's our first koan.